It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to be joined by my guest today. Joining me is Peter Cohen. He's the founder of The Second Derivative. He's an expert in giving online software presentations, software demonstrations, which we're going to talk about today. Peter, welcome to Accelerate. Delighted to be here, and good day. Yeah, so welcome from the far northern reaches of California. Well, that's, it's a delightful place to live. And if you could look outside right now, you would see it's either going to rain, raining, or just finished raining. <laughs> and it's that way most of the time, you're saying? Much of the time, yeah. Much of the time. So the attraction of being up in the north woods of California, you're up in Arcata. So what's the, uh, you moved there, you relocated there. So what, what drove you to move? So the, the key word there is drive. And after <laughs> living in Silicon Valley in the San Francisco Bay Area for a large number of years, um, the joke was that when the economy was good, you couldn't get to work on time. And of course, when the economy was poor, well, then the freeways were empty. In any case, uh, it was the, uh, the one-hour commutes and the incredible population density that, that drove, drove us north. But to be even more accurate, we really fell in love with this place a number of years ago on a trip and uh, had been looking to move up here for somewhere on the order of 30 years and finally pulled the trigger and made it happen two years ago. So right now, believe it or not, if I just glance slightly to the right, I'm staring out and the next landform that I would see would be Japan. So you can translate that. Okay. I'm thinking you really can't see Japan, but yeah, you can envision it out there. It's, it's, it would be the next, if one could <laughs> if flatten one the could. earth, that's, flatten that's earth. what I would see. Exactly. Excellent. All right. So for 30 years, you've been somewhat involved in this business you're in. So give us a little bit of background about you and how you got to become this point where you're this expert on online software demonstrations. So I was born in a log cabin in 1864. Wait, wrong, wrong story. Well, um, you, you got the beard that sort of matches. I got yeah. the beard, exactly. So um, trained as a chemist originally, worked on a bench, joined a software company uh, in 1985 doing software for the pharmaceutical research industry. Uh, and it was during that tenure that uh, I was doing many, many demonstrations for our products, and I realized pretty rapidly that when demos go well, sales processes seem to move forward. When demos go poorly, however, they come to a screeching halt. So I began to try to take a look at, well, what, what makes a demo successful uh, beyond, let's say, the personality of the person that is delivering it? So there are people that are natural performers. In our arena, where we had lots of people who are scientists and chemists, um, there are often less high proportions of natural performers. And so we began to look at, well, how do we restructure demos or how can we structure demos to actually make them compelling and convincing and, and intriguing? And out of that then became uh, the first elements of what has become a methodology. However, it was not until I was managing a business unit, um, was president of a business unit of a company uh, from about 1998 till 2003 that the scales fell from my eyes. And it was when I was the customer and vendors were coming uh, to me and my teams and saying, hey, we want to inflict 
a one or two hour demo on you, (laughs) inflict is the correct term exactly, uh, that I began to realize what I really wanted them to do was to get to the point right away early in the meeting. Far too often, organizations, when they're presenting their demos, you'll actually hear them say the words, I've saved the best for last. (laughs) And it became patently clear that there are two major disconnects with this. Number one, the high-ranking people have already left the room. <laughs> and, number, and number two, the people that remain, well, well their, their brains at that point are what? Well, and, and also, I was laughing because it's like, what it really means is they have no idea what the best is. It, yes, their assumption for the best is, is often incorrect. So right. out of that came a realization that we've got to change the way our, we're doing our demos. And literally turn them upside down in accord with what we understand about our customer's situation. And so this became a methodology, then became a book, and it became a business known as Great Demo. And that's what I'm doing, and that's how I got there. And there's the origin story. I love it. So, and did the beard come with the move, or was that there before the move? Oh, the, beard, the beard's been here since, uh, since just after university. But what has changed, though, if you'll notice, is the tonality. So yeah. now it, it shows... Um, uh, wizened and hopefully intelligence, but that uh, that can only be proved out by example, and so the jury is still out. <laughs> well, we're going to give people a chance to judge today, so <laughs> the whole purpose of this. So let's talk about the online demo, because it's really sort of become enshrined, certainly in the technology business and the SaaS business. Yeah, it's it's fundamental part, excuse me, of the sales process. It's, it's like this critical milestone on the buying journey. And so often it's, it's the sort of raison d'etre of SDRs and BDRs when they're out making their calls is to set up that software demo. So yep. <laughs> it seems like that's the moment when things really start to go wrong. So let me, let me tell you a story. I do, um, to prepare for, for the workshops that I deliver, which are either face-to-face or over the web, um, I ask my customers to share typical demos from their team members to me so that I can get an idea of how they're demoing today and some of the key moving pieces and deliverables of their software. And I just ran an experiment. I had already seen uh, a couple of this particular organization's demos, and they, they were repeating. They clearly had a standard demo that uh, each pre-sales person would, would present to their audience. And so this gentleman starts a demo, and he starts off by saying the, the classic words, can you see my screen? And my answer typically is, I'm not sure what should I be seeing. And he said, well, I've got a blue thing over here and a red thing over here. And I went, yeah, okay, I see that. And then he dove in, and the mouse swept across the screen. Words flew from the speaker. And after about 12 minutes, and I timed things, He says, so, are there any questions so far? And I said, nope, I'm good. And he plunged back in, and mouse moves, and the voice rants away. And I'm holding in my hand a coffee cup, and it it grew empty. And I thought, you know, I'm going to run the experiment. And so I, I got up from my office, went out, looked at the view for a few minutes, refreshed my coffee, came back in about 10 minutes later, and... And uh, predictably, two minutes later, the gentleman says, so are there any questions so far? And I said, nope, I'm good. He had no clue <laughs> that I had, <laughs> I had physically left the room. And with all due respect, that is the traditional online demo. Um, it's very low interactivity. Uh, 
the audience may or may not be paying any attention whatsoever, as is probably what's happening today in our podcast. And you have no clue because you're not reaching out and, and finding ways to interact with them. So one of the, the mainstays of what we teach is to reconstruct your demo. So the most important stuff is up front. That helps. But then we also talk about, well, how, how do you drive interactivity when you cannot see your audience? How, how do you be a Ray Charles and embrace that audience, even if you're, if you will, blind with respect to your delivery? So that's, that's what we do. Okay. Inter- interesting analogy. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. Right. For people that are watching this, they got to see that. Um, Coming my but yeah, let's sort of start with, with, it seems like there's a couple different motivations we often see for demos. In some cases, it seems like, I mean, this is somewhat unintentional, I think, is people use demos as uh, discovery tools. So I would say... As opposed, to, as opposed to, a you know, hey, we're trying to convey a point about the discovery we've already, already done. So I would, and this is excellent, I would suggest that there are three types of demos, one of which you should never do. <laughs> okay. First, the first type of demo <clears throat> is without question the best type, and it's when sufficient and substantial discovery has been completed. You've talked about the customer's needs, you've matched them up with your capabilities, and the customer says, wow, this sounds terrific, and they say, could you please share a demo which you've just talked about? That's, we refer to those as technical proof demos, and those are the best types of demos to do because now you know exactly what you need to show. You're just working down the list of capabilities you've already talked about, and the customers already agreed this is what they're interested in seeing. Right. Best type of demo. Second type is called vision generation, but with respect to uh, many salespeople, we should be clear. Vision generation demos is not hope. It's not the classic, if we could just show them a demo, they'll get all excited. No, vision generation is just enough. It's an appetizer, just enough for the customer to say, oh, okay, I can see where this could go. And therefore, to open that customer up to be receptive, to do some substantial discovery. Like when I counsel people, I suggest that a vision generation demo should be no longer than four minutes, just enough for them to say, oh, that looks rather interesting. But then you put your software aside and you start asking questions because they've got a vision now of what's possible and they should be willing to share some information about their particular and specific situation. Right. So I, I call that a mental test drive. You give them enough so they can take a mental test drive. They can sit behind the wheel, feel the, feel the seats, feel the leather wrapped steering wheel and start to envision themselves driving down or north on one toward Arcata with the wind blowing through their hair. There you go. And, and I would suggest don't get the, uh, <clears throat> Don't get the convertible in this case, but in any case. (laughs) So the third type of demo that I don't recommend is often referred to as an overview. Just give us a product overview. Just give me an overview demo. And these go by a variety of names. Any any clues as to what some of them might be? Uh, I'll help. Show up and throw up. (laughs) Well, you're going there. Yeah. Yeah, pray and spray. Spray and pray. One I I coined recently is the IKEA demo. Which is, you go, which is you, well, it's just like an Ikea. You go into an Ikea to try to find something, and then how do you get out? Well, you got to go through all these aisles. Right. I've heard that there are secret exits. Never found them. Um, this is also known. There's a woman that I was doing a workshop um, in Frankfurt, and she says, oh, this is the harbor tour. And I'd never heard this term no, before. I like that. 
I said, what? Yeah, I said, what do you mean? She says, you know, you take the customer, you put them on the boat, and by the way, they cannot get off, (laughs) and you drive them around the harbor for three hours, continually asking them, so have you seen anything you like so far? (laughs) Well, yeah, unfortunately, she's wrong. They they can get off, and they they oftentimes do, mentally, right? They they jump ship, yeah, exactly. So, so the, gu- the guidance is simple. You, you, can, you should be doing either vision generation demos, which are brief and discreet, uh, as you point out, just a, a test, a very short test drive, a sample, uh, or a technical proof demo where you've already done discovery. And that's, that's what we teach. So you could actually do both those, right? You could start with the vision generation. That opens the door to discovery. As you talked about, you do discovery, you come back, technical proof demo. And that is a very reasonable process to follow, exactly. So then what, let's say we've gone through that process. Let's say we've, we're getting ready now for the technical proof demo. What are sort of the key elements of a great software demo for you? So key elements of a great software demo, um, you could, there's, there's sort of the what and the how. And the what has to do with the customer's specific situation. And we teach an idea we call a situation slide, which is a structured way of capturing and recommunicating the key elements of information you pulled out of discovery. So for an example, for an individual job title, that person has a top level goal or challenge that he or she's looking to achieve. So mm-hmm. for example, uh, you've got a VP of sales, by definition, that person's top level challenge is making his or her quarterly and annual numbers. So that's, that's the top level challenge, a critical business issue. Underneath that are a series of problems or reasons that are making it hard for that person to to make their numbers. And it could be a range of factors. It could be their industry's challenge. They've hired a bunch of new people. Um, it could be a hundred different things. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the general pain portion that people tend to uncover in discovery. And then the, the next is the set of specific capabilities that person's looking for to solve his or her problem. And that phrase has great meaning. It's not just features or functions. It's specific capabilities because if you think about a tool well what percent of capabilities would would you say you use out of let's say microsoft word or your your favorite word (laughs) process yeah i mean general tools it's single digit fraction right right and can you imagine a demo where somebody felt obligated to show you everything in word (laughs) yeah so it's right so it's it's the subset of those that you've understood through discovery questions that this customer is interested in seeing and needs to see to feel comfortable. That's the specific capabilities. And that's one of the hallmarks of this whole methodology is you're only looking to show the capabilities that are relevant for this particular individual. And it's it's an act of true discipline uh, to, ho- to hold the balance of your software behind your back. And this is I'd say this without question is one of the biggest challenges that people that do demos face is they love their software and they want to show all the cool and groovy things that they love. But the the risk, of course, is, is your customer interested? So specific capabilities are what we're looking for. And then there are two other components having to do what's the value associated with making the change. And is there a, uh, a critical date or compelling event going to cause this customer to say, I need to have a solution in Mm -hmm. place by this date. So the start of the demo is actually reviewing the customer's situation, and in particular, those those six elements to make sure you've understood things correctly. And that's the starting point. It's all about the customer and the customer's situation. So it seemed like one of the ways to really enforce the discipline about holding back is to 
you know, structure the, the demonstration as a story, right? Because story, beginning, middle, end, you've got points you're trying to create, you know, convey. And when you're done, you're done. So this is, this is an interesting conundrum because many, many uh, senior managers will say, wrap a story around your demo. And what most people translate that to mean is some kind of end-to-end story of I start here and then I do this and I do this. And the way that a lot of people phrase this is it's a day in the life. Well, that's not a story. That's torture. Right. Right. (laughs) So the best kinds of stories often are how other customers in similar situations solve similar problems. And so customer success stories are often a great way to, uh, in particular, actually introduce a vision generation demo. So, you know, let me share with you how we've helped other customers in similar situations address some of their issues. Here's some of the things they were looking for. We provided those capabilities. They saw these delightful results. And here's the kind of thing that it looked like at a high level. So that's a that's one small example of a story. So you're saying that's more effective in that short vision generation than trying to sustain it through a technical proof demo. Oh, definitely. Now, now there's another structure that we can use, which is directly associated to storytelling, and it comes out of the newspaper industry, and it's the idea of the, the inverted pyramid. And Andy, are you familiar with that? Uh, not in the newspaper context, no. But go ahead, enlighten so us. In- so inverted pyramid, when you, when you read a newspaper article, the first thing you do when you read a newspaper is you scan for headlines and pictures. And they're mm-hmm. designed to grab our attention to draw us in. And that's, that's the first element of a demo. We, mo- we model that same idea. We, we present a compelling um, screen or, let's say, well, compelling screen out of the software that, as it's described by the presenter, is designed to cause the customer to say, wow, that looks really terrific. How did you do that? And so like a newspaper article, the first paragraph in a newspaper is really the, the crisp summary of what's in the balance of the article. And you do the same thing in a demo, just a very rapid pathway through, here's how you get to that, that compelling illustration, that, that payoff screen. Customer, if they're interested will then start asking questions. And the way a newspaper article is designed and designed to be read follows exactly the way we suggest that demos should be prepared and delivered. So most readers for most newspaper articles never read in the U.S., never read beyond where it says, please turn to page 4C. We mm-hmm. read it as, it as much depth as we have interest. Then we pop up and start scanning for that next article, then that, that next headline. That's called inverted pyramid. And it is a way of presenting uh, information in, a, in essentially a different format of a story. It says, let's do the most important stuff first. And then as we get deep, deeper, we'll go to finer and finer levels of detail in accord with what the customer's depth and level of interest is. So that's, that's the structure of the story that we teach. Right. And so what you're saying, though, is you're laying out a structure that's saying what we're going to do is we're going to be prepared to cover the entire inverted pyramid, but there's a logical breaking off point that's going to occur before that, which could be at the end of page one, as you talked about. And, but we need to be prepared to go deeper if necessary. Absolutely. And one way to think about this is if you're presenting to a senior executive, um, you may never actually touch the live software. All you may need to do is to review their situation and show a few uh, compelling screenshots. Describe what that person is seeing. Pardon me? Or reports. 
Or reports, exactly. Yeah, the end result this person's looking for. And they ask a few questions, and they very typically will say something like, they'll look at their watch and say, folks, I'm comfortable, I'm convinced, I've got another meeting I want to go on to. You guys can stay here and torture the vendor as much depth as you like, but I'm comfortable to proceed. So the executive's demo may only be a few minutes long, 5, 10, 15 minutes, not unusual. Now you've got middle managers that you want to address. Their demos are likely to go into a little bit more depth. And then the next group will be uh, the staffers who are thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I've got to use this software. Their demos may actually drive you quite deeply because now they want to understand the workflows and how do I do this and how do I do that. But that's the generalized structure. What we're trying to do is get away from the ancient Gordian knot of trying to embrace all three uh, constituencies with a single looping back and forth tortured layered demo. Here we're, if you will, deconstructing a traditional demo into components that can be then reassembled in accord with who's, who's in the room. Right. So, yep. Making sense? Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, there is no one software demo. So when we think back to, okay, SDRs and, and yeah, they're out selling the demo, and I think there's a problem with a lot of companies, is they're not really aware of what demo they're selling. And they're, and they're at high risk when they do this. Um, what I often point out to people is just as there is no such thing as one size of shoe fits all customers and one style is going to resonate with all customers. Imagine, if you will, that the only shoe available was a women's size six pump. How would you feel about that? <laughs> so the not same my, not thing, my style, personally. Not your style. And I doubt you'd get your foot into that thing. No. Um, and that's the risk with um, particularly these highly transactional SDR-based demos is that uh, they're presuming that everybody's needs and interests are the same. And that's where things often fail. That's where we end up with these standard demos. And that's where we end up with demos where the audience can get up, stand up, walk out of his office, look at the view, grab a co cup of coffee, and come in 10 minutes later and not have apparently missed anything. <laughs> Yeah, if he came back at all, right? If he came back at all, exactly. All right, so you talked about sort of best way to open with that compelling sort of screenshot, summary screen, uh, something outcome-oriented is what I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so well, I guess one of the other big things is how do you, how do you engage, how, excuse me, how do you gauge the engagement, measure the engagement of your audience during a demo? This is, I think, a hard part for a lot of reps is how do they know whether they've lost the audience? So... Some of the tenets of this methodology is, is frequent interaction with your audience. So, for example, I would start off a demo by reviewing the customer's situation. I'd ask, I'd ask two questions. I'd say, so, Andy, is my understanding all correct? And you'd respond. Yes. Yes, it is. And I'd ask, is there any new information? You'd, you'd answer. Absolutely not. Oh, thank you very much. I'd then share this, this compelling deliverable, this report, describe what you're seeing in it, uh, recall the value, and then I'd ask two additional questions. I'd say, Andy, is this the kind of thing you had in mind? Okay, I'd say yes. And I'd say, would, would you like to see what it takes to uh, generate this in the software? And you'd say, yes, please. And the point here is very, very early on, we're training our customer to respond and that this is going to be much more interactive. And we give them by doing summaries, by pausing, we give them the opportunity to begin to ask questions. And it's interesting, when you summarize, it 
it tells the audience members that it's it's a cue that it's their turn now to comment, ask questions, or whatsoever. But and what you're saying is is you want to be able to summarize not just at the end, but at various logical breakpoints throughout the presentation is you exactly. want to summarize what you've discovered. So people don't have to, first of all, if you're doing a 30 minute demo, they get to the end, they're not gonna remember what you said in minute two. So you need to keep reinforcing that in shorter intervals. And it's not by um, doing what, <laughs> what you, the example you gave of saying, so does anybody have any questions? Right. But it's actually summarize and reflect in a reflection way so that they reflect back and say, okay, yeah, no, that that's exactly what we talked about. That's what we want. Exactly. And it's, it's really interesting is when you, when you change the game right from the beginning, when you even let people know, you know what, we're going to, we're going to try a slightly different style of demo than you may have seen previously. And we just want to let you uh, ask you to give us feedback on what you think. Um, often counsel people to do that because that wakes the audience up that this may be different. And by the act of waking them up, um, they're much more willing to participate and, and to be interactive. Um, well, but you got to make sure, and that maybe you could also share other, because this is part that, that I see as a problem that too often is that it's the, as it's sort of the simplistic engagement, right? People saying what I just said, right? Right? Everything exactly. in the question, any with the word right, you know, we've got this feature, right? We do this, Right. I mean, that's, so what are the things are you seeing? So if people have, let's say, have done a good job, reps done a good job of sort of structuring the presentation itself, but then there's all these actual presentation ticks that people have that can be as distracting as, as bad content. So these are, these are extraordinarily important in demos. Um, number one, and the worst, has nothing to do with your voice at all, but everything to do with the mouth. And most demos, if you, if you take a look at them, you realize that the presenters suffer from a horrible affliction known as zippy mouse syndrome. <laughs> Their mouse whips around the screen. And what's really fascinating is when we mouse for ourselves, the mouse follows where our eyes look. And it doesn't bother us because the mouse is following our eyes. Right. But you, the audience, you would be looking away because it would be uncomfortable. So one of the things we teach is uh, <laughs> to mouse smoothly and deliberately. In fact, the phrase I like to offer is, those of us who mouse for a living, and that's anybody doing a demo, needs to develop mental mouse muscle memory. <laughs> so that Mental mouse, mental memory, okay, yes. Mental mouse, mouse muscle mental memory. memory. Okay. There you go. So that that you can mouse smoothly and deliberately when you're doing a demo, even when it's in front of a, of a group of 200 people and the adrenaline is coursing through your veins. So that's, that's one way to help. Um, I should comment that when you're operating over the web, there's a tendency for people to ignore all the capabilities that are in WebEx and GoToMeeting and all the other tools. They simply say, can you see my screen? And then they start mousing and talking there is a rich set of other tools. There's annotation tools, there's the raise hand, there's whiteboards, there's chat, there's all these functions that by and large are ignored when people are presenting over the web that you can take advantage of and should take advantage of to help drive that interactivity. So for, for example, um, you've presented a screen couple screens, you're in the software, you stop, grab an annotation tool, and you 
highlight the number and the column that you're describing with the right. annotation tool saying, so these are the numbers that are really most important. And then when you ask something like, are there any questions so far, which is a horrible question, but it is what it is. It's much, much more likely that your audience is going to say, oh, okay, yeah. Now, how did you generate those numbers? Or they'll ask something that's actually meaningful as opposed to responding, nope, I'm good. <laughs> well, I mean, it seems like you're next to your point, though. You can actually avoid in, in its entirety asking, does anybody have any questions so far? I mean, so if, I, if, you're, if you're doing a good job of summarizing, I mean, you can ask questions specifically about what you've just had on the screen. That's going to be more effective than sort of this general request for questions, which typically people don't respond to. So complete, complete concurrence. I am in I'm nodding my head violently in agreement. <laughs> um, as people can see, yes. As people can see. I think it was John Medina in his book, um, Brain Rules, that, that realized and articulated that the, human, the a typical adult human brain can only pay attention for about 10 minutes, 10 minutes, before it needs to be refreshed in some way. And keeping that in mind, even 10 minutes is a very, very long period of time when you're doing demo and on the receiving end. But if you keep that in mind that you've got to do something to refresh your audience every few minutes, uh, that helps with the whole concept of driving interactivity. Well, but you really, excuse me, bring up a great point, which is that if we look at this 10 minutes as sort of a benchmark, is there is a determination on the part of many companies is that, yeah, our software demo, our technical proof demo is 20 minutes long. And, you know, I encourage people to say, well, maybe we have to have two separate demos. Sure. So you could either set, you could set up two separate demos. What, what we teach people to do is to break things up into chunks, into consumable components, so that you present, for example, well, as opposed to a traditional long linear demo, imagine the following. Imagine way back in the dark ages when they produced newspapers that basically had no articles. It was just a string of of information that you started in the top left and you read through the whole thing. And what they did then was they broke it up into chunks where each chunk has uh, an attention grabber, which is the headline or the illustration, the picture. It has uh, a first paragraph, which is the crisp summary. And then it goes into as much depth as the article see it, saw fit and the audience has interest. If you break up your entire overall story into these sub chunks or articles, each of those can end up being easily 10 minutes or far less. And that's, that's a way to go about it. So would you, would you like an example of that? Always. So classic example, let's take a CRM system demonstration. You've got campaigns, you've got uh, adding new records, you've got rolling up forecasts and pipelines. Uh, those are, let's see, adding new companies, you might say, or new opportunities. Mm -hmm. Those are three separate chunks each of which should be introduced, developed in as much depth as the customer has interest, summarized, and then given the, uh, the audience an opportunity to respond, comment, think, ask questions, so forth, before going on to that next chunk or that next component. So just like a newspaper article, we want to break the demo, the overall demo, up into its constituent pieces. Right. And as you talked about, it's be able to knit them together, stitch them together, um, you know, like a film editor will take different footage, right? And bring it together exactly, uh, yeah. into a coherent story. Yeah. And be able to just yeah, have a scene orientation or as you say, a, a column orientation as newspapers do. Okay. So 
well, I want to talk about rehearsal before we run out of time here is yeah, trouble salespeople is they tend to think they're good at winging things oftentimes. And I've been guilty of that in the past to myself. So what do you expect from people relative to rehearsal and what they should be doing? to So we talked earlier about this idea of a, a situation slide, a, a structured way of capturing and then being able to read elements of information that the team needs to put together and understand about the customer uh, before the demo. The key words there are before the demo. And what we teach and what proves to be extraordinarily useful in practice is to have your sales and, let's say, pre-sales, whoever's doing the demo, or the salesperson, come together, review the information that you've pulled out of discovery into this thing called a situation slide to make sure you know what you know, you know what you don't know, and to reach agreement on what you're going to show in the demo and what you're not going to show in the demo. And the mere act of that 15-minute, 30-minute discussion increases the probability of success just dramatically. In fact, in some cases, by a factor of something like 10. So what could I say? God forbid you should actually invest a little bit of time to prepare. <laughs> yeah. In spite of all the pressure you might feel under to you know, have a certain number of demos and so on as per week is... Let me, let me it share... It doesn't, doesn't matter what that number is if the demos are no good. Exactly. Well, and it does matter in an, in an interesting and, and surprising way. In the world of software, the average no decision rate is somewhere in the order of 50%. Yeah, and people which, are saying business to business in general. It's around 50%, right? right. Which means that 50% of demos that are delivered, prepared, delivered, and followed up on are for sales opportunities that go nowhere. And mm-hmm. what we have found is that if a situation slide is reasonably complete, you can drop those no decision rates by half easily because you're able to rule in or rule out sales opportunities that are either going to go to somebody, going to, somebody's going to have some business, or are likely to go to no decision. And so that's a very, it's a very sensitive tool and a very pragmatic tool for being able to reduce the amount of time you spend in wastage and therefore right. increase your probability of success. Okay. Well, great recommendation. And um, so we talked a little bit about rehearsal, which I think is, is a critical task, and the time pressures people maybe feel. Uh, so the next thing is, the last thing I wrote to talk about on that topic was, before I have to go on to the next segment of the show, is, was really about follow-up. So, you know, you, you do a demo. It seems like sometimes the, the logical follow-up is, as I talked about before, sometimes is a, a second demo. So follow-up is, is obviously critical. One of the things you're looking for is to have a relationship with your customer. And the first demo, vision generation demo, might occur uh, at a trade show. God, you remember trade shows? I remember those. Uh, trade shows, they could occur more typically now over the web. And it's often a, a very brief call. It could be uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe as long as 30. But it's not very sub- sub- um, substantial. And most likely, if you're following these kinds of ideas, a vision generation demo might be done in, in 15 or 20 minutes, uh, including discussion and, and some discovery work, at which point your follow-up is, it should be, dear Mr. Customer, dear Ms. Customer, are you comfortable with us setting a time to have a real discovery call and really understand your situation, from which then we should be able to make some recommendations, products, yada, 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 and so forth. Following that call, 
should be the expectation of, dear Mr. and Ms. Customer, if you'd like, if you wish to have proof and are not already convinced just by the act of discovery that we are the appropriate vendor to go with, uh, we'd be happy to put together and deliver a demonstration based on what you said you need and our capabilities in the software. Now, what about follow-up from that meeting? In the best cases, you should, how do I want to phrase this? With customers that are, let's say, early majority in the Jeffrey Moore vein mm -hmm. of thinking, mm -hmm. um, you may be done. And in fact, the desire is to, as much as possible, to uh, use the least expensive form of proof to complete a sales project. So best form of proof is simply a reference call, and that may be all that's needed. Um, vision generation may be sufficient for some, some uh, high-ranking folks. Most typically, people in that early majority need a, a technical proof demo. They want to see the capabilities uh, in a real-life demo. Um, question of the follow-up then becomes, well, what else is needed? And in many cases, a customer is going to say, well, we love the demo, but you know our environment is unique, our situation is specific, and we need a deeper level of proof, in which case they're effectively asking for some kind of trial or proof right. of concept. Um, and what we're trying to do is to help people focus away from having to do those kinds of investments. But you can follow some of the same elements of the methodology and, and manage into those processes. Follow-up has to do and post, let's say, technical proof demo with, generally speaking, three things. Number one, any, um, any questions that were queued up and parked for later that you'd promised to address. And those are typically... Have, may have to do with capabilities you weren't sure about or uh, mm -hmm. implementation issues or whatsoever. Uh, number two has to do with the business side of things, which is typically the salesperson's follow-up. So, dear Ms. Customer, we believe we've shown you everything you need to see. Is there any reason why we shouldn't get going right away? And let me go ahead and send you the license agreements, <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully. Um, the third item is something that actually could occur uh, at the end of a technical proof demo, um, it often does. Uh, even better, it could occur at the end of discovery, but it's more rare that it does. And that's establishing a transition vision. Now that the customer has seen this, this glowing demo, this glorious demo, establish a transition vision of how the customer now can move from where they are today, their painful, bloody state, through deployment, all the way to the point in time where they're able to... Uh, see and enjoy a small internal victory using the system. That's mm -hmm. called a transition vision. Uh, and that's a terrifically important follow-up item that is, in most cases, by most sales teams, never done um, and can be competitively differentiating just through the act of doing it. So let me pause there and ask, um, is that, does that all make sense? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any additional questions I can answer? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. I love the transition vision. It's a great way to sort of end on that. And so moving to the last uh, segment here, which is time we have left a few minutes is got some rapid fire questions. I ask all my guests. And so the first one is when you, Peter, out selling your own services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Discovery, without question, I've had customers say at the, at the, towards the end of the second or third even discovery call, I've had them say, you know you've already closed me, to which my response is, no, I didn't, but thank you for sharing. Yes. <laughs> but sales, in my opinion, sales, sales opportunities are won and lost 
in discovery. That's the most mm-hmm. important portion. And I think that's something that uh, we can all do better, but I think I've, I've learned to do it moderately well. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Ah, without question, Carol Frischman, <laughs> a name nobody probably knows outside of uh, my particular cadre, but she was, uh, and still is, um, one of the best, world's best salespeople. Why? Because she knew all the answers, but still asked all the questions. All right. In other words, she did not suffer from the curse of knowledge. What a delight. Love it. All right. Uh, what's one book every salesperson should read in your mind? In my mind, well, that's that's a tough one. Given that I know one called "Great Demo" by an author named Peter Cohen, I'd probably have to recommend that. But other than your own, <laughs> other than my own, I should have should have given enough. a disclaimer. Um, I would say I'll actually say that uh, there are there are probably two books that should be contemplated. One is the one referenced earlier called uh, "Brain Rules" mm-hmm. by John Medina, because he looks at. Have you read this? No, but I've I've heard of it, but I've not read he, it. He looks at uh, and explains in terrifically straightforward terms how the human brain receives information and then what it does with it, whether or not it discards it, uh, whether or not it goes into short-term memory, or most important for us, whether or not it goes into long-term memory and how that works. That's book number one. Book number two is that delightful uh, book on stories and storytelling called Made to Stick Mm. by Dan and Chip Chip, uh, Heath, which I believe you have read. Yes. Very nice book. All right. Last question for you. What music's on your playlist? Oh, that's a <laughs> Symphony Fantastique by Hector Berlioz. Berlioz, right? My wife and I were just having a discussion about this, the, the idea of the Desert Island album or uh, music. And it's and classical I, I, for you? Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> classical in two veins. So um, Grateful Dead would be one okay. side, in which case it would be the Europe 72 album without question. And then on the other side, yes, sir. And then on the other side would be a Simply Fantastique. Absolutely. That's an interesting match between Berlio and Jerry Garcia. I like it. They're both both classical music. What can you say? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, good. Actually, Europe 72. I didn't know about that album. Okay. Oh, it's the seminal work. You You must check it out, as they say. All right. All right. That was actually a little bit before my time. So, um... Peter, great to talk to you. Appreciate you taking the time. Tell people how they can find out more about you and Second Derivative, the Second Derivative. So you've just basically said it. It's the website, www.secondderivative.com, all spelled out. Uh, It's probably the the very simplest way to get a hold of me. All right. Well, again, people, if you're interested in learning how to perfect your software demos, get hold of Peter. Peter, again, thanks for joining us today. And remember... Friends, thank you for taking the time to join us. And remember to make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Peter Cohen, who shares expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.